0: Good morning. good morning it's a pleasure to be here this morning. I was happy a few weeks ago Kyle asked me to if I would be interested in preaching today and I was well, sure yeah well, I'd love to so I so, so thank you it's, it, it's good to be here and uh, you know we're at the time of the year for me personally it's a great time of the year as a school teacher uh, you know, the summer months are, uh, you know, they, I can make them as busy as I want or or not and uh, do different things. That infuriates my sister. She's She worked in a factory for, I think, oh, 25 years or so, and there was no summer break. You need to be working, too, and so she was, she's always on me about that. I need to be working and getting after it, and uh, I was thinking about that the other day, and I, one of the memories I have is when I was a little boy, my uh, grandpa, my great-grandpa, great-grandpa Bame, they're the Bames from Germany, auf Deutschland, you know, and they would come and, and they did their thing. And anyways, uh, he was kind of a part-time farmer, and he had sheep. And I remember in the barn, there were always these sheep in there, and I was probably, you know, four or five, not maybe not even that old, just real little. And I can remember... Uh, he would try to take me out to the barn to feed the baby sheep. You know, that's kind of fun. I remember the bottle was this huge thing and we'd go out there and, I, you know, my job was to hold the bottle and he was always, he always had that German kind of, no, you, you stand there, you hold the bottle and don't move, you're scared of sheep. You know, so I wasn't, you know, so I'd stand there real still and try to, and uh, inadvertently, I'd always end up scaring the sheep, and they'd run off, and he'd, he'd always get mad, ah, you know. And uh, he'd say something in German, and I'd end up going in the house. And <laughs> But uh, I remember one of the things Grandpa always did was he made sure that all the sheep ended back up, back in the barn at the end of the day. They'd bring them all back in, they'd all go in the barn. And I can remember watching them you know, wondering, you know, why we got to bring him in? You know, we just leave him out all the time. One time a, a stray dog showed up and he got into him and tore a sheep up. And it was traumatic, you know, for me as a little guy, couldn't believe it. And uh, so, no, we got to get the sheep in. And and I always was struck by, even as a young boy, I thought, man, these sheep are really dumb. They're stupid. They bring him to the door and they just stand there like, come on in. You know, finally, you get one, and then the rest of it kind of follow, and, you know, they never seemed to be all that all that bright, but, you know, besides the physical care of the sheep, you know, feed and water them, the biggest responsibility was to make sure that the sheep got back into the barn, that, that they were accounted for, that they were safe, and, uh, you know, that that was a big deal, and, and that reminds me of, of a passage in the Bible, in the book of Isaiah, I and mean, You realize the Bible, you know, uh, in the Word of God, he kind of likens us to sheep. Sheep aren't that bright. So I don't know if that's a good thing or if this is an insult, but all of us like sheep have gone astray. Sheep tend to wander off. And uh, there's a great story in the Bible about sheep, and I I especially like the last song we we did, the idea of, you know, The shepherd and he's looking after us. And but if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 15. I want to talk about the lost sheep today. Luke chapter 15. Luke was a doctor, of course, and he meticulously took notes and would write things down. And you know his writings. uh, You know Luke, the book of Acts. We think that he wrote that and you know, and and was able to very carefully document a lot of what Jesus was talking about. But here in Luke chapter 15, this is probably halfway through Jesus's ministry. And Jesus had been traveling around Galilee and going to various towns, meeting with people, uh, doing different things. And as he visited these towns, he spent most of his time meeting with regular people. Okay, he didn't go to the town and say, you know, I want to meet the mayor. I need the mayor. Uh, I want to speak with all of the city officials. No, he would usually show up at a village or in a little town, and he would meet with some of the lowest members of society. Where are the outcasts? Now, that's who I want to I go see. That's who I want to talk to. In fact, the Pharisees, who were sort of the religious... Experts of the time, supposedly the religious leaders of the, for the Jewish people, they would criticize Jesus often for spending so much time with these, these unclean sinners. Look, you're a man of God, you say? What are you doing hanging out with, with, with these people? They're unclean. These people are the scum of the world. Why are you, you spending time here? These Pharisees, of course, would never allow themselves to become unclean by being in contact with these outcasts, with these sinners. And, uh, and in this story, Jesus wants to teach him a lesson. So Luke chapter 15, we'll start at verse 1, and it says, Now all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near him to listen to him. Both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable, saying, What man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing, And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep, which was lost. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. What a story to to tell these, these Pharisees, and uh, you know the, the point of the text is to teaching that you know what, what's bringing about great joy in heaven? Well, it's the you know when a sinner repents and, and, and goes back uh, to God. and uh, now these Pharisees are not stupid people. I mean they're very well educated, they're very uh, knowledgeable about life and culture and, and you know things of the of the scriptures but they didn't quite get the whole gist I think of what Jesus was trying to do the parable here is about a shepherd who's lost his sheep now it never really tells us here in the text that we're talking about a shepherd it doesn't say shepherd anywhere in here but you you know what it is who else is going to go looking for a lost sheep well that's what a shepherd does And the Pharisees understand that Jesus is saying, look, you're shepherds. You should be shepherds. And to the Pharisees, this would have been a great insult. A shepherd? A shepherd is like the lowest of the low. Of all the things you could do in life, shepherd is like down at the bottom. Why would I do that? Now, these people of the time, these are not Bedouin people. They don't travel around and you just chase the sheep and the goats, and they wander, and, you know, at the end of the day, they had to bring the sheep back to the village, keep them put up, keep them safe. Uh, a lot of times, everybody in the village would, uh, would bring their sheep out, so a shepherd or two or three would go out. It's not just their sheep, everybody's sheep. Those sheep belong to Russ. Those belong to Stan. Uh, that's Mike's sheep over there and they would take care of them. It's a dirty, nasty job. It could be dangerous at times. So the people who would often take these jobs as shepherds were often viewed in society as the roughnecks. They're the dregs of society. These are rough people who go out to be shepherds. Now, of course, the Bible uses the illustration of a shepherd many times to illustrate various themes. Moses spent time as a shepherd. David spent time as a shepherd. I'm not saying that they were lowly, terrible, scummy people. That's not what I want to get at. But the profession itself in that time was not considered to be much of a profession at all. But these shepherds were given a great responsibility. They had to look after the sheep. And Jesus is asking these Pharisees, imagine yourselves as a shepherd, which would have infuriated the Pharisees even more. The prime directive of a shepherd, according to this this little story, the, the number one thing, the number one rule of a shepherd, don't lose the sheep. Don't lose the sheep. You might forget to feed them. You might forget to shear them once in a while. Uh, they might fight. Uh, you know, but don't lose the sheep. I mean, these belong to everybody. We start losing sheep, the whole village is going to be angry, and we got all kinds of problems. So keeping the sheep is rule number one. That's not many rules, but that's the big one. Don't lose the sheep. If you lose it, go find it, alive or dead, it doesn't matter. It's important. I mean, he could be alive if he's dead. If there's just part of him left, bring it back so they can identify it and keep track of the sheep. But this had to be done. Once the sheep was found, the shepherd would actually throw the sheep over his back and his neck. Now, I've seen pictures on YouTube of people carrying sheep, and they try to carry them like a dog or kind of like this, and the sheep's like, you know, trying to... These guys would actually tackle the sheep, get a hold of him, they'd throw him up over their shoulders so that their feet would, would be hanging here, and they would tie them together, tie the feet together. So this thing's swarming around, and you're you're going back. You got the sheep up there, bringing back the lost sheep, and you did it with joy. You brought it back. Look what I found, and everybody, yes. We got the lost sheep. Bring him home. Verse 7, Jesus mentions that, you know, there'll be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than the 99 righteous who need no repentance. We're not really talking about sheep here. We're talking about people. We can have 99 good people, good, righteous people, but... If one of them is lost, that's when heaven rejoices, when those sheep are found, when they're brought back, when people are brought back into a relationship with God. Matthew chapter 18, it adds a little more context to the story. And uh, in this, uh, there apparently were some little kids around too. And Jesus kind of brings them into the story a little bit. Uh, We don't have time to go to read that, but through this, he also says, it is not the will of God that any of these little ones perish. In fact, God will rejoice and all heaven with him when they repent. God longs for the lost to be saved. That's what Jesus is teaching here. You Pharisees who look down on these people as scum, as nobodies, You need to understand what the heart of God really is. The heart of God is to save these people. He loves them like a shepherd loves a lost sheep. And he'll go out to find them. And when he finds them, he'll put them on his shoulders and bring them back. It's interesting, as you look at the text, he does this joyfully. Verse 5, when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing, now that part there, the picking up the sheep and putting it on your shoulder, that's when the hard work really begins. Going out looking for a sheep, that's not hard. You walk around a sheep, you know. But when you find him and you got to wrestle him down and you got to tie him up and bring him back, that's when the hard work happens. And he does it rejoicing. I love that idea. I love that, that whole thing. The theme here of God uh, through his son, Jesus Christ, uh, of being a great savior. This is what God does. The Bible repeatedly refers to God as God, my savior, through his son, Jesus Christ. He wants to seek and to save that which is lost. I'm reading through the Old Testament and I'm reading through uh, Isaiah, I'm reading through Jeremiah, Ezekiel. If you've never read the Bible and you start with there, you're going to get the idea that God is a homicidal maniac. All he wants to do is slaughter people chapter after chapter, but I'm going to punish them. They're going to get this, and I'm going to wipe these out, and they're going to get that. And That doesn't sound like somebody who wants to seek and to save the lost. But all throughout history, you see him going to this moment where he will bring forth the great shepherd to do just that. What brings joy to God? A sinner who repents, someone who turns their life and gives it to God. There is great Rejoicing in heaven. I don't know if you've been paying attention the last few nights, but Cincinnati's been inundated with Swifties. You know what a Swiftie is? You know what a Swiftie is? Girls know what a Swiftie is. John, do you know what a Swiftie is? Yeah. Even John knows what a Swiftie is. <laughs> well, they all down there in Cincinnati, and I've, I've been seeing some clips of it, and old Taylor Swift walks out, and the place just explodes with, yeah, and it just, Cheering and yelling and screaming and dancing, and ah, you know, the whole thing. You think about these words that Jesus said that, that there is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over any of these good people. I think of the, the shouting, the joy, the screaming, the hallelujahs, the, the whole scene when one person finds their way home. I love that illustration. Pastors and authors have made a real mint by writing books about church development, church planning, the purpose of the church. This is what we're supposed to do. Uh, Rick Warren says there are five purposes. Uh, Andy Stanley says we got all these other things, all these, you know, people follow them and We spend so much time trying to emulate that and model that and to do all that and somehow forgetting that the thing that really makes God pleased is bringing the lost, bringing them in, finding lost sheep. Uh, One of the great questions that churches need to ask themselves, I think often, What is our purpose? I think a good church does that. What is it we're supposed to be doing? What's the whole point of being in church? What's the whole point? I think all churches need to keep asking themselves that. It's not so much here at North Hills. It's not so much what is our purpose, because I think we've nailed that down pretty well. Kyle repeatedly, repeatedly tells us and teaches us that our purpose is to grow closer to God and expand his kingdom. That's our purpose. I like that idea of expanding the kingdom. What does that mean, though? I get growing closer to God, expanding the kingdom. Hmm, kind of lost me on that one. I don't know what that means. Frankly, it means bringing people into a saving knowledge of Christ. It means going out and finding lost sheep, bringing them in. And so what we have to ask ourselves, are we fulfilling our purpose? Are we indeed growing closer to God? Are we indeed expanding his kingdom? You know, Kyle spent a lot of time the last, month or so in the book of Romans chapter 10. That's just in that chapter. I think we've been in Romans for a little what a year now, it seems like. It just keeps going on and on. But there's so much in there to learn. Romans chapter 10, and I'm going to turn to that because I think it really does capture sort of the how-to about finding lost sheep. I don't know if you missed this, but Romans chapter 9, I'm going to start around verse, oh, verse 9. It says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's the gospel. That's the heart of the message. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. There's no distinction between Jew and Greek. He's the same Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. Uh, Skip down to to 14. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? You got all these lost sheep out there. How are they going to get found? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? How will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless someone is sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. How can we effectively go after the lost and bring them into the flock? You know, I stand up here... uh, for those of you who don't know me, I uh, I was actually a pastor here for a couple of years before Kyle was here, uh, a, a, sort of a lay pastor. I, most of it was preaching, but I would also minister, you know, uh, to families, you know, who needed pastoral ministry, th- those types of things. And uh, I remember at times I, when I preached, I would look out and you know, there would be faces, just people scattered. Uh, and at times, you know, as I look out today, they're, they're gone. They're missing. To me, they're like ghosts. <laughs> they were there, and now they're gone. And I'm like, where where did they go? Now, I'm not talking about people who have passed away or, you know, have, have gone through their life and, and, and that, but or really even people who have gone to another church or have, have moved on or left here well. And, 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 but those who just disappeared, gone, poof. It's like counting the sheep. We're missing some sheep. Where are they? What do, what do we do about that? Um, you know, I think about the 99 sheep, the good sheep, And I think about how much time we spend ministering to those 99 sheep, those righteous, those good sheep. And we should. We have to take care of them. We have to feed them. We have to water them, protect them. That's the role of anybody in, a, in leadership. That's what we do. But what about the lost sheep? You know, I look out at the rows, and there used to be pews out here at one time. I know, I got one on my front porch. I got it from the... Anyways, I look out and, uh, you know, I can still see loved ones, friends, neighbors who have moved on to other flocks or have just decided, I'm not part of the flock, I think it's easy to get wrapped up in the management, the needs of the 99, but what really brings joy to God is not the efficient organization and operation of the church. Sure, it makes him happy. Sure, that's what we're supposed to do. What brings God great joy is when one sinner turns away from their sin and repents. That is what brings joy to the Father. That's the point Jesus was trying to make To the Pharisees. What is it that brings great joy? It's when a sinner repents. It's when a sheep who is lost, who for whatever reason has got themselves separated from the flock, is found and is brought back. There is great joy in heaven. It's not just God throwing a party, the angels, whatever other heavenly things are there. That is where the great joy comes. Happens. You know, God is obviously pleased when we have great worship. I know He's pleased when we're able to pay our bills. He's pleased that our kids have fine camps to go to, and, and He's pleased that we have great events that we can share with our community. But what brings Him real joy is when we send out shepherds who bring back the lost. That is the purpose and the plan that I believe God has for the church. Now, let's be practical here. This is preacher talk here. You know, I'm supposed to get mighty preachy, make you a little uncomfortable. But let's be practical. I can't go out and hogtie my own neighbors, my own friends, I can't go bang on the door, grab him, tie him up, throw him over my shoulder. We're going to church. (laughs) Then we're going to have a big party when we get there. That's not going to work. That's not going to go over very well. So what do we do? How do we effectively go after the lost? How do we bring them back into the flock? The number one thing I believe that a shepherd should do is pray. We can all Pray. I sometimes think we have forgotten the power of prayer. We give it lip service. Oh, we're going to pray for this. We're going to do Prayer is direct communication with God. We use prayer almost as, a, as, a, as an afterthought. I, I played a lot of baseball when I was a kid. How many of you are into baseball? All of a sudden, the Reds are hot, and everybody's red hot, man. You know, Cincinnati. Everybody's watching the Reds just tear it up. You know, the batters, when they get up the bat, they often have this pad. They'll, they'll rub their bat on it and put that on there, and they'll throw it down. Does anybody know what that's for? It's called stick'em. You know what stick'em's for? Yeah, so you don't let go of the bat when you swing it, and you don't want of into the stands. Or Sometimes we treat prayer like spiritual stick'em. You know, stick an optional tool. We don't have to use it. A batter doesn't need it. He can go up there without any stick on. It's not a big deal. I mean, that's what a batter does. He gives up there, and he's supposed to swing. You know, sometimes at church, we'll say a little prayer here and there. You know, before I go to bed, Lord, I pray, and I'll say you know, a little something, I'll fall asleep, and, you know, that's what we're supposed to do. Or I could be like, my favorite all-time baseball player, who most of you will never know of, Dave Collins. Has anybody ever heard of Dave Collins? I got a few. Dave Collins, every time he would get up to bat, he couldn't play in today's game. He would get up to bat like this. He'd step into the box, <laughs> do his thing, check this again got to get his gloves all stick them from here to here strike and he step out and we have to go through the whole thing again up hold on here we go i got to get got to get my gloves right he would go through the whole thing over and over and he would be up at bat for 10 minutes it seemed like the point is he would not go to bat unless he was absolutely, positively sure he was prepared. That included this, stick them, every little thing. He didn't just walk up to bat and, okay. We have to be prepared when we're praying for lost sheep. They don't want to come back sometimes. It's not that they just wandered off. Some of them got mad and left. How do you bring those back, or should you, or what do you do with that? You know, if you want to get, go after a lost sheep, we have to get ready. We got to pray like you've never prayed before. Pray for your kids who don't come to church. Pray for your husbands who don't come to church. Pray for your wives who are not coming to church. Pray for your neighbors Don't just give God a little wink and a nod. Get on your knees and pray to him. Spill it out to him. Lord, this is my great, great desire. Another thing you can do, maintain contact. I used to coach football. I'd always tell the defenders, maintain contact with your player. Don't let him get away from you. Stick to him. If I'm here and he runs there, you go with him. Maintain contact. Bad things happen in football if you lose contact with your player. You're over here and he's running there and touchdown because you weren't where you were supposed to be. Maintain contact. Even though your loved one no longer attends church, maybe they never came to church. Maintain contact. Be involved with them still. Don't ignore them. Oh, you don't go to church anymore. You can still have contact with people outside of church. You can still have a relationship with them. Some of you, it's your family. You're stuck together whether you like it or not. Keep that contact. You know, for me personally, I probably went 10 years where my attendance here was maybe once a month, if that. Just wasn't here. Didn't see the need to come, stay home. My wife prayed and prayed and prayed that I would get it right with God and get right with my church. And she prayed and prayed about that. And of course, we stuck it out over the years. There are a lot of times, as in most marriages, very easily could have said, that's it, pull the plug. But we didn't. Maintain contact. Can't witness about Jesus? Afraid to tell somebody about Christ? That's okay. Just don't lose contact with them. The Bible says that God draws people unto himself. When the time's right, he will use you to draw that person into the flock. God will draw them in. Number three, the third thing you can do, use your spiritual gift. We don't talk about this a lot, but do you realize when you became a Christian, uh, God gave you a special gift that could be employed in the service of the church for the benefit of, of everybody? The Bible mentions at least 19 separate spiritual gifts. Administration, apostleship, discernment, evangelism, exhortation, faith, giving, healing, interpretation, knowledge, leadership, mercy, miracles, shepherding or pastoring, prophecy, serving, teaching, tongues and wisdom. Wow, what a list! Chances are you got one of those. You may not have discovered it, you may not know what it is yet. But when you accept Christ as your Savior, when you're found, God gives you one of those special gifts. And if you use it for the benefit of the church, it allows the church to do its job of finding the lost. You may not be the one directly that goes out and says, you know what, I just want you to know I I love you and Christ died for you and maybe that's not you. I know in the the Navy, when a pilot gets lost, they don't send the entire Navy to go look for him. They have people, specific people. Their job is to go out and find him. But you better believe there are thousands and thousands of other people working just as hard in the background, running surveillance, doing radar, listening for intelligence, doing this, doing that. When a church goes out to find the lost... Churches that are successful, you better believe you got a lot of other people doing the work of the church to enable those, whoever, have that gift to go out and bring the lost back into the fold. I know we're running out of time here. It's, a, it's supposed to be a 60-minute game show, but we're, we're running, running over here. Um, you know, what do you do when you've tried all those things? I can't make people come to church if they don't want to. Not even God could save everybody. Jesus couldn't save all 12 disciples. What do we do when we, you know, the lost sheep is loose and we have to let it go? You know, we have to ask ourselves, is their exit best for them? Or for the church, frankly, sometimes the best thing for everyone is to let them leave. People usually leave because of a string of things that they don't like about church. They, they take off, uh, you, you know, uh, usually it's usually one thing, but uh, it's kind of sad. But the scripture recognizes that even mature Christians often have differences. And it's the best thing is to spend time away from each other, Paul. And uh, uh, Barnabas did that. Mark. Now, they kept contact. They prayed for each other. They served one another, but they couldn't work together. Now, I think it is wrong to just stop going to church. But I don't think it's necessarily wrong to move from one church to another. I've seen people do that. But what gets me and drives me crazy is as I look out and I just see ghosts who have disappeared. I don't know where they went. I don't know if they're in a church. I don't know anything. All I know is the flock has a lost sheep. When are we going to go find it? When are we going to make time to bring that sheep back into the fold? We need to adopt the attitude of the father. In Luke chapter 15, at the end of the chapter, Jesus tells another story, a couple more stories. And it's all the same story. Lost sheep. Then he tells a parable about a lost coin. Then he tells a parable about a lost son. The prodigal son. You may have heard the story. He thinks he's got it all. He leaves Takes off, leaves the family, and finally he hits rock bottom and he's got to come back with his hat in his hand. What's the attitude of the father? Uh huh. I see. Told you you'd be back. That's not the attitude the father has. What does the father do? He has a party, he celebrates. It was a fantastic moment. He's back. You were dead. You were gone. But you're alive now, and you're here. We need to maintain that proper attitude. Sometimes people will come back after years being gone, and the way that we treat them when that happens says it all. We need to be like that father. You were gone, but you're back. I love that. I love that, that imagery. You know, there's no joy in heaven when people leave a church. God does not rejoice when sheep wander from the flock. And my desire today for all of us to simply ask ourselves, do I know any lost sheep? Why have I done nothing to bring them home? Am I drawing them back to the fold? Or am I the one that's driving the sheep out of here? We need to align ourselves with the heart of of God. Matthew chapter 9, there's a story. Jesus was looking at Jerusalem, and he he starts to cry. He's upset. He says he's moved with compassion. I look at the great city of Jerusalem. Look what's happened to them. They're like sheep without a shepherd. They're lost. They don't know what they're doing. There's no one to come and rescue them, no one to pick them up and carry them back on their back You know, when we were saved, Jesus took us and threw us on his back to bring us home. Christ seeks the lost. He finds them. He restores them by doing all of the hard work of carrying them back home. He died on a cross so that we could be forgiven. That's hard work. But when the work is done, he celebrates. Luke 19, verse 10 says, God, through Jesus Christ, is the great shepherd who has come to save the lost. His job is to seek and to save. You know, friends, time's running out. As I get older, I, I looked in the mirror the other day and, oh my gosh, I'm 54 years old. What happened? I had my first granddaughter. They call me grandpa now. (laughs) You know, it really is true. The days are very long, but the years are, man, are they short. We've only been given so much time to serve God as a member of His, his church. Let's not waste it focusing all of our attention on the 99 But let each of us, at least once, go and find that lost sheep, bring them home, and then we'll all rejoice. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day and the the opportunity to to speak today. I, I always get so nervous and worry about things. But God, I know that you're with us and that you love each and every one of us and that you love those who are not here, and we pray for them, Lord. I pray that we all would go and like you have a heart for the lost. And we're thankful for you, Jesus, that you, uh, the, the shepherd who laid down his life to save us, just a dumb sheep, and that you would restore us and bring us home to celebrate that. God, what a privilege. Father, we love you today in the name of Jesus, we thank you. Amen.